Hey, as we get started, I want to start with a question. Um, what, makes, what makes you grow? Like physical growth, that's, that's given, right? Like that's, that's going to happen. Physical growth is going to happen. And, and for people, it happens at different paces, right? They, they, some people grow faster when we're growing up. Some of us faster, some of us slower. But, but I'm talking about like maturity kind of stuff, uh, emotional growth, uh, spiritual growth. What makes us grow? And, and my thought was, what, what takes a, a college student who wants to hit just the bare minimum just to get by? I've shared with you before, my, 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 my philosophy was, okay, if you got a student sitting next to you, I'm sorry, plug their ears right now. My philosophy was C's, get degrees. That, that, if I hit the minimum bar, all I need is a degree. That's it. That's all I need. And you know what? Plug their ears again. That was true. That was true. That's all I needed. I just needed a degree because I had, I had a, a job lined up, all that stuff. And so what, what takes somebody from a, a, just a, I just need to get by to I actually want to be good at what I do. I actually want to excel at what I do. Do you get into a, a, your career, so to speak, and you're going, okay, wait, I no longer want to be a minimum bar kind of person. And, and at one point in my life, that's because if I was like a minimum bar kind of person, you could die. And that's not cool. But, but like, how do you want to excel? How do you want to do better? And some people never get there in their lives. They're, they just want to hit the minimum. I can just skate through, hit the minimum, and it's all going to be fine. But I, I do believe the majority of people want to excel at least in one area of life. In at least one. And so what, what is it that happens? And, and I came up with, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There are lots of little things that happen along the way that, that encourages maturity. And, and then I, I began to think, okay, in my spiritual life, what, what takes me from someone who's like, you know what? It's okay. Like, I, I'm going to go to heaven. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Isn't that enough? Surely that's enough. And I came to realize, no, that's not enough. That's, that's not the life that's described on the pages of Scripture. Uh, a minimum bar kind of life, just, just sliding it in. Just, you know what, I, I'm going to come, you may have heard people before, you know what, I'm going to come flying to heaven, and it's going to be flames behind me, and I'm just going to slide, I'm just going to meet the minimum bar to get into heaven. That's not the life that's described here in the New Testament. It's not the life that's described in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. As we head now into the second half of this letter, we're going to see everything that Paul's laid out in the first half in light of everything that he said about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, he now comes to how then shall we live kind of stuff. What does it look like for us to live out our life, our identity in Christ? What does it look like for us both collectively, but, but we're going to get even more personal now. What does it look like for me personally to live out my identity in Christ? And as followers of Jesus, my identity in Christ calls me to live out unity. He talks about unity and, and that we would then 
put it into motion in our lives. That unity is something that exists in God that we're given in the spirit. It's something that is, and our job is to open our eyes to what is. To open our eyes and realize something that exists, and that is that God's people are united in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are one people, the people of God, and our part in God's story is to live out that unity. So as we jump into this, um, it really is important that we would connect it. This isn't disconnected from the first half of the letter. It's really important that we would connect it. And so last week we left off at the end of chapter three with this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Or, or so be it. Truly, let that happen. That, that Let's praise the God who's able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. And a lot of people at that point go, okay, well, let's start thinking up some stuff that we want God to do for us. Let's start coming. Man, if he can do more than what we ask or imagine, uh, well, let's start asking. What are are those things? Except Paul has actually set this for us. He actually has said, what are the things that, that God can do? And so it's really important that we now connect this to what comes right next. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To the God who's able to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine. To him be glory and praise forever. And you live like it's true. Live like it's true. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Paul's encouragement here is for all followers, I believe, for all time. That we would be great followers. That's his encouragement. You may be meeting the minimum bar in every area of your life, except in your spiritual life. And Paul's saying, don't meet the minimum. Don't rest on the fact that that you simply have life in Christ. Allow that fact to, to change how you live and that you would live in a way that reflects the incredible gift that you've been given. What have you been given? We are, remember, we are collectively God's valuable personal property. And now he's going to say, so live like it. You're a treasured possession of God. So live like it. You're one in Christ. So live like it. There's a connection that he's saying, like, like to the God who's able to do far more. Now, this, this therefore connects to the entire everything that's laid out. And he's, he's gone through, um, through three chapters now. We've been talking about over and over and over again who we are, who we are, who we are. And, and it's really important because Paul talks about who we are. But in light of who we are, how then shall we live? Now, in our world... Um, Man, we don't talk a lot about being followers. 
What does it look like for us to be great followers? There's, there's not a lot of books out there on being great followers. A lot of books out there on being great leaders. We talk a lot about leader, leading, leadership, being a leader, but, but we don't talk a lot about being followers, let alone being great followers. In fact, you may even have taught your kids, whatever you do, don't be a follower, be a leader. Pretty sure I taught my, taught my kids that. Don't be following the crowd, right? And that's good advice. If the crowd is headed down the road to destruction, don't follow those folks. But what does it look like for us to live as followers? Now, here's a quote. We, we have someone who's uh, here on the Harrison Lane campus. He's, he's um, investing in our blend venue. He's investing in our uh, next generation, uh, not next generation, but our... Um, our senior adult community, I, I'm sorry, I, I lost the, the right way to say that. Um, senior adults, is that, is that an in vogue term? I don't, think that that's, I don't think that's what I was supposed to say, but old people, okay? There you go. <laughs> I am one. I have gray hair, man. I, I'm, I have gray hair. I, I'll own that. So it's all good. Anyway, so he's, he's investing in a ministry there. The name finally came to me, in our encore ministry. <laughs> And, and his name is Joe, and, and Joe uh, shared with me a quote in a book that he's been reading called, I Am a Follower. And the thing that's really encouraging for me about Joe is, um, is he was a pastor for a really, really long time, and um, he's still looking to grow. And out of our meeting on Thursday, we do a production meeting on Thursday, talk about what we're going to talk about on the weekend and the way everything's supposed to flow and the fact that I shouldn't say old people. And uh, <laughs> he shared with me, like, he's like, I'm reading this book again. And the book's called I Am a Follower. Now, now Joe has been following Jesus for a, a really long time. And he sent me an email and he said, I, I still want to be a better follower. And that was such an encouragement for me. Because when I look at him, he's got so much experience in ministry and he's taught the Bible for a really long time. And, and, and he probably has like teach around me in circles in so many ways. And yet he's always an encourager along the way. And one of the quotes that he shared with me is this, and it really stuck with me that, that leadership is a function, but followership is an identity. And so often we get that inverted. We think leadership is our identity and following is something that I have to do. I have to follow in those areas of life where I have somebody over me. But really, who I am, I'm a leader. And, 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 and that may be true if for people who belong to the world, but for people who belong to Christ, our identity is as followers. Followers of Christ. The words disciple... That means follower of Christ. Christian means little Christ, follower of Christ. That, that when we talk about follower of Christ, we're talking about everyone who has new life in Christ. And some people are great followers and some people are terrible followers. I remember the first time I had a conversation with someone. We were talking about different religions and, and, and talking about it was, in, it was in a Muslim country and talking about Muslims. And, and for us, most people would view Muslims as just one thing. Like every Muslim is a great Muslim. And, and this, this guy was like, you know, like the majority of Muslims are bad Muslims. 
just like the majority of Christians are bad Christians. I was like, wow, that's a pretty bold statement. He's like, well, you know, there's stuff that their scriptures say, but do they actually do it? I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. Paul's encouragement is that we would actually put it into motion, that we would live it out, that we wouldn't just know about it in theory. There's a whole bunch of of truths that he's laid out, and he's like, okay, now live in a manner that reflects that, and if you do that, you will be a great follower. It's all about if this is who we are, how then shall we live? And, and that's why it's really important that we don't forget the first half of this letter, that we would really buy in that, that this is our identity, yes, personally and collectively. Because if we buy into it that it's not just my, me and Jesus, but it's also we and Jesus, that it's collective identity, then it's something that we can call each other to. It's something that we can encourage each other in. It, it, it's a bar that we can go, this is something we're trying to attain together, what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Christ, live like a follower. Picking back up in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you underline or highlight, underline or highlight, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. As a follower of Jesus, belonging to God's people, it's important that we understand the we. But here's the thing as we head into now living it out. If if we don't practice this personally, it's it's never going to happen. And so as someone who's who's a follower of Christ, as somebody who has new life in Christ, I'm a, I am called to embrace and live out the unity that we have in community. The only way to live out the unity that we have in Christ is with we. It requires that we would engage within the body of Christ. This is about living life with other followers of Jesus. Now, we talk about being a gospel-centered church. Is that about reaching people with the gospel? Absolutely. Now, I'm not saying that, but that's not what Paul's talking about here, that we within the body of Christ, that we would live like we are one in Christ. Why? Because we are one in Christ. So this is talking about how then shall we live, and he talks about the, the unity that is within God himself. And so um, this week, we're, we're taking another group of people through licensing here on staff, and we, we have a, uh, some residents that go through resident development, and we, we talk about theology. 
And part of that class is talking about who God is. And in the first session, when we talk about who God is, we talk about the three in oneness of God. The word is Trinity. You may be familiar with that word, even though it's not in the, the scriptures. It's talking about the triunity of God, that God has eternally existed, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, forever. And as we talk about that, um, this passage that we're actually in this week is an incredible three in one verse verses, a description of God eternally existing as three persons in one God, that he has eternally existed that way. And the unity that we have as followers of Christ re- reflect the unity that God has in himself. Now, as I talk about God being three in one, you may be confused. And one of the things we talked about this week, we talked about how every Um, illustration that we use of the three-in-oneness of God breaks down. There's no good illustration because it's such a unique thing. I could say water. Well, well, water exists as a a vapor. It it, it exists as, you know, H2O at at its very essence. It's a liquid. It's a solid. It's a vapor. But, But that actually teaches a heresy that God comes in the form of, you know, like it's, it's wonder twin powers activate and God takes the form of father, son. That's actually called modalism and it's a heresy. So, so every single illustration that I would give you breaks down. And so I don't give you an illustration. Instead, here's what I say. It's just a concept that we're required to believe in faith. And if anyone says to you, they get it or they understand it personally, I go, they don't get it or understand it. Because it's unknowable. It's one of those characteristics that's about God that that is beyond our comprehension. Why? Because we're human. But Paul doesn't really seem to care. He just flows. Woo! In and out. He is like one God, one spirit. It doesn't matter. He's not separating it out. But what we see is this beautiful picture of the unity that exists within God himself. And for those of us who've been paying attention, if Two Rivers is is your church home and you remember last fall, we did this series called Shema. When when we start hearing things about God, God being one, and, and here he's beating it home to a group of people who are really familiar with the Old Testament. They're really familiar with the scriptures. We should start paying attention going, oh, he's playing on a theme that Jewish people said every day, but a, a, a group of scriptures that they would quote called the Shema. Our God is God alone. Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, he is one. He is the one God. And now he's playing on that theme that, that there is only one God. And our job is to reflect the unity that God has within himself. Now, I want to read to you this is from a guy by the name of Grant Osborne. I've been quoting him a lot since the series in Revelation. I actually found him in the series of Revelation. Um, he was uh, actually a pretty well-known person within the Evangelical Free Church, of which we're a part, and I was clueless, had no idea who he was before that series. But he's taught at Trinity uh, Evangelical Divinity School for a really long time. He's since passed away. But in his um, commentary on Ephesians, he writes this. The emphasis is on those Christian attributes that aid community. Ephesians is the premier New Testament document dealing with the church. So it is fitting that the qualities in these verses are corporate in nature, dealing with relationships within the church. 
there is little place in the Bible for the individualism that so often marks American culture. Every believer is a member of the body, the church, and we are meant to live in community as family. Anyone who, who says to you that they can have a relationship with Jesus outside the local church is not realizing what it really means to have a relationship with Jesus. The only way that we can experience the fullness of who God is is by we experience the unity that God has within himself, both personally and corporately. It requires that we would experience it in a personal way, yes, but also within the community of faith. The only way that we can experience unity is within the church. The calling is for us is to open our eyes to what is. And the unity that we have in Christ is by the power of of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural unity that we can't create. It's already been created. And what we see is our job is to recognize that it exists and then grow in it. To open our eyes to see what's been given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are united in Christ. And then we can grow in what it looks like to be united in Christ. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about unity and the fact that we are one people, we should be careful about how we talk about other followers of Jesus. We should take care as we think about maybe our past hurt and past church experiences, as we talk about other followers of Christ along the way, that we should be careful because we're, we are one in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of one family. So, so they may be of a different faith tradition, but, but we should be careful. And, and if you were here, you remember, we should be careful in how we talk about that. And then um, a, a, a revival broke out at Asbury University, and there's a, a bunch of college students. Some of you don't know. You're going to have to get on Google after you leave here. And, and uh, there's a bunch of college students that, that there's been a 24-7 worship, prayer kind of experience going on for, I think, maybe 10, 11 days now. And um, that's gone other places, other universities. Now, other college students are experiencing that. There's, there's been an outpouring of the Spirit in uh, some way, shape, or form. And so that's amazing. In fact, the Washington Post yesterday, here was their headline. Nonstop worship service at a Kentucky college is spreading through TikTok. <laughs> through TikTok. And now some of you, you're like already skeptical. You had no idea this was going on. But you know, I, I heard once, this is what I heard. I heard an unnamed country gave us TikTok so they could spy on American citizens. It's of the devil. So surely God cannot use it to spark a movement among young people. Well, he has. All right. So, so there you go. All right. So much for what you know or what you think you know. I don't know. Is it real? Is it? I don't know. But here's what I do know. That, that it's not bad for a group of people to come together in 24-7 worship. And yet all the critics, if you're on social media, my social media feed is full of critics that, that well, they're doing this wrong or they're not doing this right or they're, they're, they got this wrong or they got this right. And I'm like, What? There's people that are going there so they can critique it. Folks, we've lost it. Like, why can't we just be like, okay, God's doing something. Like, that's 
awesome. God's doing something in the lives of young people, but it doesn't look like what I think it should look like. It's not part of my tribe. It's not part of my group. They're not doing it right. That's not what we're called to. That's not our job. Now, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to understand what God's doing within us collectively. So, so as, we, as we consider, okay, what, what's going on within our community of faith? What lessons can we learn as, as God pours out his spirit within us? You know, we have kind of like major times of seeking God together where there's really cool stuff that happens through worship as, as people enter into times of confession and then the, the, where God shows up and we do it twice a year. It's called quiet waters. We just don't put a label on it and put it on TikTok and call it Revival. This is normal for us to experience the the presence of God. So we have to open our eyes to what is. It's it's a chance for us to participate together, to actively seek God together. And not to, to, to evaluate what's going on at a university hundreds of miles away and whether or not we think it's real or not real. Now, at the end of this section... Paul quotes from Psalm 68, and, and uh, here's something yesterday I decided just to insert, and, and I think this is really important, because as you're reading through this passage, I was reading through the passage again, and I'm like, you know, this, this ends up just feeling like flyover country. You know, you get to those, those verses in the Bible, and you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about here. It just seems like Paul went on a little diatribe. Boom. Let's just fly right over that. Why does he quote Psalm 68? What's going on here? And so here's something I want to give you, and this is for extra credit, okay? This is for extra credit. If, if you really want to know more about this, that you would go and you would read all of Psalm 68, I'm going to tell you, it's very likely going to be confusing to you because here's what Psalm 68 is. And sometimes in the Psalms, it can be really hard because we don't understand the context and what's going on and exactly who's who and who's what. And so I just want to give you that if you go there and you read Psalm 68, it's a picture of Yahweh as the divine warrior. Yahweh is the the covenant name of God. It's God's personal name. And so it's Yahweh is the divine warrior descending on Mount Sinai, that that he's striding across the earth, winning victory after victory and and for his people, and then ascending uh, to Mount Zion. He's surrounded by an entourage of the heavenly host in order to establish his throne there, okay? So you're like, wow, that's heavy. Yeah. So, so. What Paul is doing here is he's taking something that his audience would have been super familiar with. And so here's the Bible study tip for you. Anytime that you come to a passage like, okay, wait, there's a quote here, and it's set apart in your text as a quote, you want to look up what that quote is, and then you want to go back to the Old Testament, and you want to read everything that comes before and after. Because as we talked about in our series in Revelation, the New Testament authors, they have a very high expectation that we would know the Old Testament. They expect that you would know the scriptures. Some of us think that God has a very low bar for us. He's got a very high bar for us. The scriptures are written. The New Testament is written in a way that we would know what's going on because we know the story that came before. 
And so you have to go back and you have to remind yourself of the story. And here, Paul puts a little twist to it. The twist is, it's now Christ is the divine warrior. And instead of people giving gifts to God, now Christ has given gifts to to humanity. And, And we've heard of spiritual gifts before. In fact, in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he writes about spiritual gifts, grace gifts, and and you've likely heard that we all have spiritual gifts. This is true. We all personally have a, a spiritual gifting that we are to use within the body of faith to build up the body of faith. Okay, this is true, but that's not what he's saying here. Check this out. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ." From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here we see that as followers of Jesus, as a follower of Christ, I demonstrate unity as I grow up. So in a in our weekly conversation about the message, right, in our summer meeting, um, we talked about how uh, Paul uses this phrase, grow up. And, and if we use that phrase, grow up, it, there were some people in the room who were like, wow, that's a super negative phrase. I'd be like, I, I just see it as a neutral phrase. They're like, well, think about it. If somebody says, you're an idiot, grow up, how do you feel about that? I'm like, I feel terrible about that. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's just saying, that we should mature. And so as, as Paul uses that language, grow up, he's not being derogatory to the followers of Christ in Ephesus. He's saying, this is what it means to be a great father, follower. If you are going to be someone who is living a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called, you will be on a growth path. You will continue to grow. And this week, as I, as I thought about that, email that Joe had sent me in, and I thought about um, someone who, who I would be like, man, surely if anyone has arrived. And he's like, no, I, I still want to grow in my following. I still want to be a better follower. I'm like, man, surely if he wants that, that should be my aspiration as well. Paul points us toward a life of spiritual growth. That being mature followers of Jesus is the goal. Becoming mature followers of Christ, that's the goal. And it has nothing to do with length of time. Length of time is not connected to spiritual maturity. Now, there are some things that do require following Jesus for a really long time faithfully. Like, yes, there's, a, there's an aspect of spiritual growth that requires that. But, but just because you became, you became a follower of Christ 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago doesn't mean necessarily that you've become a grown-up in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here, that we wouldn't stay kids and, and, and he's not chastising them like he does in other places where he's like, you should be grownups, but you're still babies. That's not what he's saying here. 
He's saying that, that what happens if you, if you stay in that state is you're going to be tossed around. You're not going to have steady faith. You're not going to be able to be great followers. And his encouragement is be great followers. To do that, we have to understand that what it looks like. And this isn't unique in Paul's writing. In fact, if you listened this week uh, to Colossians on Wednesday, I, I hope that you're doing the live it out. We'll talk about that in a second. But, but this Wednesday, as you listen to Paul's letter, it took you 12 minutes to listen to Paul's letter to, to, to the Colossians. And in that letter, you heard him talk about a lot of the same things. And if you didn't listen, make it a priority to listen to that letter today. Listen on your way home. Go out of here and listen to the whole letter. It's such an encouragement, man. I listened to that letter twice on Wednesday. I was fired up. Like, Dave, you're supposed to be fired up. No. I'm just a follower of Christ like you on Wednesday. There's no stage. There's no, just, it was Wednesday. I was fired up. Why? Because I'm like, oh, it's the same, but it's different. And he comes at it from another angle and he talks about it a little different and he, oh, 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 and it helped me understand more. And in that letter, he writes to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then he goes on to say, that's why I work so hard. I work so hard is so that people would become grown-ups in Christ. That everyone within the body of faith would become grown-ups in Christ. So how do we grow up? How's that happen? He goes on to say that this is how it happens. He's given gifts to the, the people of God, and he calls them church leaders. Church leaders exist to help us embrace our part in the we of the community of faith. That's what he says here. That, that he's given people within the church to lead the local church in growth. Now, for us, what does that look like? Yeah, does it include people that you might go on um, our church website and you see our church staff? And, and yes, does it include teaching the Bible? Yes, I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's far bigger than that. When, when we come to this word, he talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. There, there's this word shepherds, and there's a word within um, Christian life that we really uh, have a hard time getting our minds around because we've seen the picture of Jesus and the lamb, and Jesus is the good shepherd, and he just pets the lamb because that's what good shepherds do. But that isn't what good shepherds do. They do more than that. If the lamb is sick, they might care for it, but, but, but they're caring for a whole group of people, right? They're caring for a whole group. And so uh, when we think about shepherds, it's important that we know that the language of the Bible. And in the Old Testament, the leaders of Israel were called the shepherds. The shepherds of Israel. In fact... I can't remember exactly where it is. God actually says that the shepherds of Israel were stupid because they haven't sought the Lord. And so when we think about that, he's given what? He's given people to encourage 
our spiritual growth. And at the, at the basic level within our church, who is your shepherd? If you are in a group, you've been given a shepherd as a gift. It's called your group leader. If you are a group leader, you are a shepherd. You are pastoring a group of people. And, and some of you are like, whoa, don't say that. I'm just facilitating questions. No, you're caring for the spiritual growth of people. And if you're in a group, your leader has been given to you as a gift to promote your spiritual growth. If you have kids in kids ministry, if you have students in student ministry, you have people that that are investing in them. Right now in kids ministry, you have somebody who's investing in your kid that that person has been given to your family as a gift. They've been given into the life of your kid as a gift to encourage their spiritual growth. That's what he's pointing to here. That within the community of faith, there's people to to encourage us to grow to maturity in Christ. So as we talk about week in, week out, doing the live it out, and we're like, come on, people, do the live it out. Why? It's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to encourage you to grow, to engage to participate. Why so much passion about that? Because it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live out the word of God in community together. And so why are we passionate about it? Because we love you enough to want to see you to grow. And some of us are on a growth trajectory and some of us are regressing. And within a community of faith, there's lots of stuff going on. But, but there's a next step for some of, I mean, for every single one of us in some way, shape or form. There's a next place that God is calling us to. And as we do that, as each part of the body is functioning, as, as we, we call people to engage, yes, their personal spiritual gifting absolutely. And we use your personal spiritual gifting within the community of faith. What? Is it, is it just about your growth? No, it's about our growth. We grow together as we engage together. We grow in community when then we demonstrate the unity that we have in Christ. Here's the simple truth. We need we. We need we. And you don't know who said that because it's very from a very famous theologian that you've never heard of. Actually, maybe you have. Her name is Aaron DeShazo. <laughs> Aaron DeShazo is the worship pastor here on the Harrison Lane campus. And this week in sermon meeting, she just blurts it out. She's like, we need we. I'm like, yes, we need we. And then I was, I was thinking about it later on. I'm like, I'm gonna put my own little twist on this because I love me some me. But we need we. And that's where we landed, man. I love me some me, but we need we. This is true. If you're going to walk away, just to hold on to that, man. I may love me, but man, I got to lay that down. That's what he's talking about here in all humility. And the humility is, is, is not beating yourself up mentally. That is nothing to do with humility. That is simply pride cloaking itself as false humility. What we're talking about here is not even thinking about you, but thinking of others and, and, and living out what Paul has written right here. And in order to do that, we need we. I may love me some me, but we need we. We grow when we actively engage in the church. Now check out verse 15. We're going to go back here just for a second. 
He says, okay, don't be children because you'll be tossed to and fro. You know, Paul, Paul mixes metaphors like it's cool. He just flips in and out of metaphors. He, he's just going, okay, don't be like kids. And then they're like being tossed to and fro on the ocean. Just like it's cool. Just an observation. Rather speaking the truth in love. Instead of being that, don't get faked out. Don't be, be faked out by false doctrine. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. One last staff quote from this week. And my whole point, I, I sometimes quote things that have happened my week between Tuesday and today. Here's just three, but I guarantee you there's a bunch more of interactions within we that have influenced my following of Christ and my teaching of the scriptures. We're living this out, folks. We need we. Isn't just a motto. It's how we live. It's not like we just show up. Like we're, we're living this out from Tuesday until today. And this one's from, from Tim, Tim Bubara. He, he was like, okay. And I love the fact maybe that just uh, Tim, Tim comes across as a super nice guy. And I love the fact that Tim has buttons too. Because he's got some buttons. And anybody who's got some buttons, I can respect that. And here's what he says. He hates when people think that speaking the truth is diametric opposed to love because truth and love are not diametrically opposed. These are not opposites. There's not the truth and love. And actually, if you connect it in this text, he, he's actually rather, there's a contrast word, rather speaking the truth and love. And so what happens instead of being tossed to and fro by by being deceived, he says, rather speak the truth in love. What's the truth that he's calling them to speak to each other? Everything that he's already laid out. So what is your identity? Who are we? How do we encourage one another with that? Well, I feel like I'm less than. You're not less than unless you're calling God less than. I feel like I'm not worthy. Then you're saying God's not worthy. Does somebody love you enough when you're beating yourself up to say, stop it? That's simply pride. Your, your inner narrative of saying, I'm not worthy of the love of God is pride, not humility. Does somebody love you enough to speak that truth? Because why? Because the whole first half of this letter, you are valuable. You are a new creation in Christ. That gives you value and worth. That's true. And so if you're believing a narrative that isn't true, is somebody saying, this is what's true, this is what's true, this is what's true, in love. But most of us equate speaking the truth in love to speaking our truth into somebody else's life with stuff that we don't like. That is not what he's saying here. Speak the truth, the truth, into the lives of each other. So as we head into this week, what do we do? What do we do? We live it out every week. We're going to have something that our identity in Christ calls us to live out. And this week, it's living out unity. So as we think about next steps, this week, as you engage this week, there's two questions. And these are, as you go through the live it out this week, two questions that you'll have an opportunity to ask. Who is someone that Jesus is calling you to invest in? You're going to ask Jesus, who's someone that you're calling me to invest in? 
Who's someone that you're calling me to, to put time and effort in? And now I want to switch this a little bit. If you're in a group, how much time do you spend investing in your group leader? They're given to you as a gift. I'm not saying do that, but just think of it bigger than just uh, who, who do I have that I have to help out? No, 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 no. How do you encourage the people within the community of faith that have helped you out? If you're kids in kids ministry, when's the last time that you sent that person who's volunteering with your kid a note saying thank you? Thank you for week in, week out investing in my kid. Who's God calling you to invest in? And then where can I take another step to grow? All of us have that. All of us, I believe, the Spirit of God will say, it's, it's just this. And it's going to be something that he's calling you to in a personal kind of way. But now what we're going to do is the God that has given us unity is worthy of worship. And so in all of our venues, I'm going to ask you to stand. That, the de- that he has demonstrated you are a new creation in Christ personally, and we are a new creation in Christ collectively, and that is worthy of praise. So in this moment, God, would you help us through the power of your spirit in us to be a people who, who can't help but praise you in Jesus' name.